0: The First Butterfly, Episode 23. A novel written by Jason Calibre, narrated by Chris Bander. Chapter 22 As Keith stepped out of his car in the late afternoon, he spotted Gina stomping out of the duplex with her knapsack slung over one shoulder and sleeping bag in hand. He increased his pace to intercept her. She glared at him, never once interrupting her progress towards the street. Keith stopped and searched for something, anything which would provide an explanation for her abrupt departure.
1: Hang on a sec. I'm going to nuke some dinner. Why don't you join me?
0: He ventured. Gina ignored him and continued towards the street.
1: Did Reuben do
0: something? Gina stopped, paused, and then walked over to where Keith was standing in order to stare up at him. That's better. Why don't we just... Keith began. Gina dropped her sleeping bag and slapped him across the face. He stared at her. You idiot! She yelled. What's that for? Keith mentally replayed the events of the previous night in an attempt to identify what he might have done. Gina pulled back her hand for a second slap, reconsidered, picked up her sleeping bag, and stared up at him with wounded brown eyes. Why'd you do it? Do what? I thought we were starting to get along. Keith struggled to come up with a reason for her anger. Why are you picking on that poor woman? Gina persisted.
1: I never picked on any woman in my entire life. You're picking on Millicent. I don't even know anyone named Millicent.
0: Keith backed up a step. Idiot, Gina replied. Seriously, who is she? Gina rolled her eyes. The chick you had me contact. The one online, remember? She turned to leave. Wait. Keith shook his head in disbelief. You aren't talking about God's girl.
1: Duh. Whoever's behind that tune can't be Millicent.
0: Millicent's in your game, dummy.
1: Look, I don't call you names.
0: You're so dense sometimes. Gina let out a yell of frustration. It's like this. She's in your game like your grandmother was in your apartment last night. Keith was unsure how to respond, but he prepared to duck as Gina's eyes widened. Then she turned and headed towards the sidewalk.
1: Is that it? Leaving without saying another word?
0: Gina continued walking in silence.
1: Where are you going?
0: To the pier. I've got a job. Congratulations. Gina let out a scream.
1: Let her go, amigo.
0: Reuben said through the open window of his apartment. The scent of cheap cologne enveloped Keith as Gina crossed the street and disappeared around a corner. Keith coughed and turned to face his landlord's vague silhouette against the window's gray screen. What?
1: You did the right thing. She was going to leave anyway. She never could handle relationships, not even with mature men.
0: Shut up, Keith replied. In response, the window to Reuben's apartment slammed shut. Keith headed towards his front door and inserted his key. He smelled roses as a soft breeze carried away the odor of cologne. The nearest rosebush was over a block away. Even so, the scent hung in the air. This brought to mind Millicent, then Gus and the dilapidated house with overdue notices. Finally, he remembered staring at the woman's grave. Perhaps her spirit was living on in the game? A week ago, he would not have considered the possibility, but in light of recent events, he had to admit that Gina might be right. Keith twisted the key clockwise, locking the door before returning to his car. He tuned the radio to a classic rock station and headed towards the freeway. Long drives always cleared his head, and he needed that. Reuben seemed convinced his relationship with Gina was over. That meant his landlord thought he won and wanted to patch things up, and when Reuben wanted something, he could be persistent. That thought just increased his irritation. As a native Angelino, driving the freeway was a familiar ritual. A hint of diesel exhaust slipping through the vents on his car. The traffic and the glare of the sinking sun were like comfort food. An old song by the doors blared through the speakers. All the conditions appeared perfect for a relaxing drive. However, his attempts to worm his way through rush-hour traffic produced only frustration. Twenty minutes later, he fought his way to an off-ramp where Keith discovered the side streets were just as congested. Reluctantly, he gave up any hope of clearing his mind, and turned down his home street, where the sight of a dark plume of smoke and fire engines greeted him. The LAPD cordoned off the street a few hundred feet from the duplex as firefighters sprayed water onto scorched walls and through his apartment's broken roof. Heath drove past a crowd of onlookers and stopped beside a police officer directing traffic away from a barricade. He lowered his car window. Smoke stung his eyes while he choked on the acrid air. For a moment he tried to keep the ash drifting into his car from settling on his suit. Keith gave up when he saw the amused look on the policeman's face. Grabbing his wallet, he showed the officer his driver's license and pointed in the direction of his apartment.
1: I live over there. What's going on? Wait here, please.
0: The cop replied as he took the driver's license and headed towards a cluster of police officers. The cop returned with an officer following a few steps behind him. The officer... A lieutenant, Keith assumed judging by the silver bar on his collar, stepped up to the open window.
1: "Please step out of the vehicle, sir?
0: The lieutenant said.
1: Sure, no problem.
0: Keith responded as he exited the car and a cop led him to a spot on the sidewalk a few feet away from the barricade.
1: Mind if we search the vehicle? Not if you show me a warrant.
0: Keith was beginning to lose his patience.
1: We do have probable cause, sir.
0: The officer responded.
1: That's him. It's either that guy or his crazy girlfriend who started the fire.
0: Reuben yelled as he limped towards Keith. A policewoman, a sergeant judging by the stripes on her uniform, tried to restrain Reuben, but he swatted her aside with his cane. She turned and tackled him. Two other officers jumped into the fray, wrestled him to a position face down on the ground. Once they were sure Reuben was no longer a threat, They lifted the heavy man back to his feet with his hands cuffed behind his back. The policewoman brushed her shoulder off, straightened her uniform, and appearing to notice Keith for the first time, headed in his direction. Sir? The lieutenant prompted with a meaningful look at Keith's auto.
1: Sure. Go ahead.
0: Keith surrendered his car keys. Two uniformed officers pulled out flashlights and began rummaging through the interior, while others popped the hood and trunk. The officer that tackled Reuben approached Keith and held out her hand. Don't I know you? I think we met during an investigation downtown. A building firm was alleging another contractor was engaging in illegal practices and endangering occupants.
1: Yeah, that was a while back. It was the Hencorp building.
0: Keith shook her hand while wondering if she was taking on the role of good cop. Police Detective Jennifer Myers. She smiled and shook his hand. Keith! Despite himself, he was warming to her. It was nice to see someone at least pretending to be friendly. He looked past her to where the other officers appeared to be engaged in a serious conversation with the lieutenant. After writing something in a notebook, the lieutenant approached Keith.
1: Sorry for any inconvenience. Just standard procedure.
0: He handed the keys back to Keith.
1: Can I ask what they were searching for?
0: Keith asked. The officer glanced at the detective. In reply, she shrugged. He then arrived at a conclusion.
1: Lighters, matches, accelerants, anything that could be used to start a fire. We found nothing. Your car's clean.
0: Standard procedure. The detective nudged Keith with her elbow. Lieutenant's being nice. By the book, he shouldn't talk about an ongoing investigation. Thanks. For the
1: record, I don't even smoke.
0: Keith hazarded. Unsure if he felt so much as the smallest amount of gratitude at the lieutenant's candor.
1: We're done here. Detective, get his contact information.
0: Yes, sir. Myers dug into a shirt pocket and produced a business card. Taking out a pen, she lined out the pre printed number and wrote a different one. That's my direct line. Call me if you can think of anything that could help identify the cause of the fire. Keith pulled out a business card and wrote his cell phone number on the back. The detective took the card. And examined it. You're no longer working for L.A.?
1: No, I'm doing online investigations for a private company now. Transworld's networking? I work for their software engineering division.
0: Good to know. I might call on you. Things are getting more and more high-tech. Knowing someone in online investigations might come in handy. Sure, call any time. She handed him another card with a guilty look. It's for a shelter if you need it. You can stay the night if you have nowhere else to go. Thanks, but I'll manage. I
1: can always crash at a hotel for a couple of days while finding someplace more permanent.
0: The duplex is now the scene of an arson investigation. You'll need to wait at least 24 hours before you can enter the site. She added in a tone that conveyed she was doing him a favor. Thanks. Can I leave now? Give me a call when you find out where you'll be staying. And don't leave town, at least not in the immediate future.
1: Okay, Keith said.
0: You have any questions?
1: I was just wondering about him. What's going to happen?
0: Keith pointed over to where Reuben was sitting, dejectedly on the curb with his hands cuffed behind his back. I'm going to charge him with assaulting a police officer, she replied all business.
1: You might want to reconsider,
0: Keith said, although, as he continued talking, he wondered why he bothered. He's had a tough week. You realize he accused you of setting that fire? Yeah, but he's wrong,
1: and he'll get over it. Maybe we'll patch things up.
0: I'll consider it, she replied. Then
1: I'll let you get back to work. Nice seeing you again. I wish it was under better circumstances.
0: Keith said, falling back on platitudes. Yeah, me too. The detective waved over her shoulder as she rejoined the other officers. Keith coughed, choking on the smoke while looking past her to the destroyed duplex and realized he felt nothing. He had become psychologically numb. Perhaps he was experiencing shock? Not only had Gina left, but fire destroyed the few personal items he possessed. Reuben, a stable friend he relied on in the past, wrongly accused him of arson. He was mentally exhausted and unable to respond with either outrage or sadness. While driving away, a thousand questions swirled in Keith's head. Chief among them were who started the fire, which hotels had decent rooms, and whom he could contact regarding his renter's insurance. It was obvious that trying to discuss such issues with his regular insurance representative, Reuben, would be futile. Thank you for listening to The First Butterfly, Episode 23, Chapter 22. This episode was written and produced by Jason Calibre, featuring the voice talents of Chris Bander and Jay Cal. Cover art for the podcast and ebook provided by Nancy Aphrodite. Theme Music, Sun Still Rises, provided by Wanderbeats. Please visit our website, thefirstButterfly.com, for a complete list of attributions, links, and other information concerning this patio book. You can help support this podcast. By rating and reviewing us on iTunes. As always, we wish you all the best and look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Until then, have a wonderful week.